Hello there, Alaskans, wherever you are. Welcome to the Must Read Alaska Show. Coming to you from somewhere in Alaska. This is the place where we talk about, you guessed it, Alaska. Where we keep the mainstream media on their toes and where we are standing up for what's right and a world run by leftists. You can find out more by heading over to mustreadalaska.com and also checking out the Must Read Alaska YouTube channel for some really great content. But first, let's get this party started. Thank you, Scott. Hey, welcome aboard, everybody, to the Must Read Alaska, coming to you from somewhere in Alaska. And you know this is the place for conservatives to exchange ideas about Alaska politics and, well, whatever else is on our minds. Sometimes we're going to mix it up and, and just talk about culture. This is the place for uh, us to just discuss what's been we've been writing about on Must Read Alaska and for you to get some some of the notes from behind the scenes. And I think you're going to enjoy this show very much. I'm Suzanne Downing and my co-host John Quick is on the other mic. Scott is on the soundboard and you can hear him on Tuesdays, Wednesdays and Thursdays on the Must Read Alaska show that he hosts by himself. And I join him on Thursdays and sometimes other times as well. John Quick, tell us what's going on on the Kenai Peninsula. Well, thanks so much, Suzanne. John Quick here, and I have a little bit of a cold, so I have a I woke up with a deep voice. So you have you to do sound me. like the Godfather right now. <laughs> I must tell you. Well, some uh, good news on the peninsula is that uh, it is snowing. So for those of you that wanted to sled with your kids, you can go outside and sled with your kids now. Um, on a couple cool notes for Must Read Alaska, I wanted to throw out some some uh, fun and interesting stats uh, as of late. And for those of you who may have tuned in a couple of weeks ago, we were very proud. Maybe a month ago, we got to number 37 on the uh, iTunes list for, for most popular podcasts for the government category in iTunes, which we're very excited about because uh, if you look on that list, it's everything from the BBC to ABC to all the huge major media groups out there have their own. What's our number? Number 37. That's not bad. Top 40 is good. Yeah. 37 was the highest we got, which is pretty exciting. And, and uh, this last week, I uh, kind of did a deep dive into how our website was performing against all other websites literally around the world uh, in, in a similar category, the government category. And just to keep kind of this in perspective. So, you know, in the U.S., most cities have a website most counties or boroughs have a website and there's something yeah, most like, like wastewater units and parks and rec they all have their own websites they all have their own websites and and you know there's something like twenty thousand incorporated cities and and if you count in the counties it gets up to over twenty thousand, and that's just in the u.s so our worldwide ranking for government websites is number 727 most popular government website in the entire world and that's pretty exciting I'm, I'm pretty stoked about that well thanks to everybody for for tuning in and making that possible that's pretty that is pretty exciting i have to it's gonna take me a while to absorb what that means but that's a pretty high number or, yeah, or low number you want a low number in this because yes, in the high, high numbers means nobody finds you low numbers you know, you know google's number one and maybe youtube's number two or something like that so we're so having a rating like that is actually a pretty good thing yeah, it's pretty awesome. And, you know, for those of for those of folks that are tuning in, we hope you had a great Thanksgiving. And and I just think it's kind of funny. I know that most of my friends and most of my family um, gathered together uh, with no masks and had an awesome time. And against the government's recommendation, if you look on the government's website right now, I won't say which one because I don't want us to get flagged. But those of you who probably can put two and two together, you can put two and two together. It says that 
those who are even fully vaccinated should wear a mask inside during the holidays. And yeah. uh, uh, all of us rebels up here in Alaska probably did a little something different. Yeah, you did, because now you have a call. See, there you have it. <laughs> should listen to the you know who we, we can't the the agency whose name we can't say or we'll get flagged. Yeah. That's right. Well, listen, we um, we really are have a great guest today. I really want to get to her right now because um, she is a, a friend of mine and she's a, a real patriot in Alaska and in America. And I've known her for several years. Uh, she's a, a member of the House of Representatives. Uh, she was elected to that seat by beating Paul Seaton in 2018, doing something that even I didn't think anybody could do because Paul was, well, he's head of house finance and he was, he was kind of a big wig down there in, in um, Juneau. But boy, she read the room right. She understands her district very well. Welcome to the show, Sarah Vance, Representative Vance. It's good to be here with you, Suzanne. And we had some topics that we wanted to go over today, just uh, breaking news items, uh, first, before I do that, just to say, you know, Merry Christmas to you and your family, and please thank your whole family for lending you to Alaska. It's a it's a big deal to to lose your your wife and your mom for um, many months out of the year, which they've kind of given you up to to serve in this role, and, and I'm, I'm thankful for it. Well, thank you, and and that is something that I think many of us are recognizing now that this is a, definitely a full time job, and it takes a family commitment. Yeah, it's the whole family that's sort of stuck with this this commitment, and I'm I'm not sure it should have been a full time job, but it, it certainly certainly has turned into one the way things have been going. But but we had a surprise announcement today. We you know we thought that Joe Miller, who was a former candidate for U.S. Senate, we thought he was going to run for governor because he was giving the indication that he was going to, and he put out a notice yesterday saying I've got an announcement about governorship. You know the the governor's race. So we thought, well, Joe Miller, libertarian, he's going to he's going to join as the libertarian candidate. But by golly, he did not get on and announce. He announced that your colleague, Representative Chris Kirk of Wasilla, is actually his chosen candidate for governor. And I mean, we all got fooled. It was it was really a good gotcha in, in a way that is also really surprising that a libertarian would then go and endorse a Republican when you know, you've got this party brand and none of us really saw this coming. Um, now, Chris Kirka has, he, he was elected in 2020. He beat Lynn Gaddis for that seat. And, uh, and then Lynn, uh, Lynn retired, of course. And so he has served about 11 months as a representative, but now he thinks he's, um, He's ready to go to the show. What are your thoughts about this? Were you surprised? I was definitely surprised. I, you know, we, we chat um, pretty, you know, quite often as a caucus of uh, either things that are in the news or, you know, someone going, you know, to a hockey game with their kids and, you know, mom's the word. He, he did not say anything. There was no indication. It was definitely a big surprise. I noticed that his uh, announcement is, is coming out at about the same time we're taping our podcast today at about three o'clock in the afternoon, and that before that happened, he had changed his Facebook page over to uh, just, it was Chris Kirka, and it says, it says, works at Kirka for governor, 
And so we'll probably get to hear more this this evening when we review the tape. But um, what you're saying is that he certainly kept it a secret, and so did his colleague right next to him there, David Eastman. Now, David Eastman is a representative also from Wasilla, formerly District 11, and boy, I can't remember the name, the number of that district now. But what redistricting did is they combined both of those uh, those guys into the same district. And it looked intentional. If you look at the lines, it's, they really had to go to some length to force Kirka and Eastman into the same district. And it kind of looked like the redistricting board was kind of trying to get rid of David Eastman. A lot of us take, took a look at that and said, well, that looks fairly intentional. But instead, uh, Kirka decided that he's going to let Eastman keep that seat. And he's going to go on and run for governor after 11 months in the House. Yeah, it's definitely something that we're all trying to um, kind of game game theory on this. But, you know, I think people underestimate how um, Kirko, you know, wants to stand on the principles that he believes in and is elected to do and uh, obviously thinks that more should be done. And I say kudos to him because uh, it will definitely make for some interesting debates in the governor's race for issues that Alaskans feel should be talked about. Yeah, that's true. And it's, um, he's going to obviously run to, I guess, to the right of Mike Dunleavy, if that's possible. Dunleavy's pretty, uh, pretty strong conservative himself. And he's also a right to life person. Now we know that Chris Kirka is the former uh, Alaska director of Alaska Right to Life, but, uh, but Dunleavy's been a right-to-life guy himself, and so it'll be interesting to see. You know, does this mean does this mean um, that Eastman, for instance, is going to not run against Senator Wilson, and he's going to stay in his in his seat there in in that in that House seat? What do you think? I don't know. I I really suspected that he would run for Senate, uh, but maybe they have someone else lined up to replace Kirka. You know, those are the things that we don't know because these two can keep really good secrets and they are good at strategy. You know, they're, that is something that they have uh, been able to move on and win in their districts. And we can't under, underestimate the power of uh, how they work behind the scenes and appeal to the people. Right. And um, I, I guess they really do appeal to their district there in Wasilla. And both of them I know as good people, and I like both of them. And I agree with both of them on most everything that they do, uh, they stand for. Don't always agree with David Eastman on how he approaches tackling a problem. But I typically agree with him on what, what the goal is, how we get, you know, how we eventually get there. Um, so, you know, you got Chris Kirka, who doesn't have name ID, and when people read the story on Must Read Alaska, they sent me text messages with a lot of kind of laughter emojis on them. They just thought it was a joke. One person wrote to me and said, um, if you're gonna start a, a satire news site, would you please tell me first? <laughs> and another oh person, yeah, another person from Fairbanks wrote to me and said, Kirka who? They didn't even know who it was. So he doesn't have a name ID. And so amongst the Republican voters, he's not real well known yet, but I don't know how he raises money against a sitting governor who 
has Donald Trump support and who has the support of every other Republican governor in the country who's going to back, everybody's going to back a sitting incumbent governor. They're, they're not going to eat their own. That's just not how the Republican governors are. If there's some, unless somebody's absolutely egregious, they're not going to go up against them. Um, that's a, it, 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 how's he going to raise the money to actually mount an effective campaign, do you think? You know, I think there's probably a lot of grassroots people who will get behind them. And if Joe Miller has, uh, you know, connections, they may use his endorsement to be able to get behind him. But, you know, the interesting part is that we have to consider the ranked choice voting, that this could, this could benefit the conservatives. I haven't, I haven't learned the ins and outs of the ranked choice voting yet, but this could work to our advantage by, um, bringing the conservative issues to the surface where uh, we're able to talk about these things, but also, you know, having our top two people as conservatives may prove beneficial. Well, that's a good point. And maybe if, for instance, if somebody just really is upset with Mike Dunleavy because he hasn't delivered on the permanent fund dividend or he hasn't uh, done something else that they wanted, uh, get legislation passed that they wanted, Perhaps they could say, I'm going to send him a message. I'm going to vote for this Kirker guy first, and then I'll vote for Dunleavy second. I have a hard time thinking that the people who would support Kirka, because he's such a you know, strong right to lifer, and that's almost a almost a single issue for him, although I think he's probably also thinking constitutional things would be very, very important to Chris Kirka this time around, watching what has happened in our state over the past year and a half. The constitutional questions are are fascinating for us, but I I wonder if uh, Kirka will people will say I'll vote for Kirka first and then I'll vote for Bill Walker. Well, Bill Walker is now uh, you know pro-abortion, and Les Guerra is you know really pro-abortion. He's totally pro-abortion. So you've got two very strong pro-abortion people, and then you've got Mike Dunleavy who's pro-life. So maybe those Kirka votes, maybe the second on the for the second choice for those people will be Mike Dunleavy, but they'll just walk away saying, at least I sent them a message. Could be. And you know, if this helps bump Walker down to, you know, number three, then have we, you know, maybe we've helped ourselves in the primary. It's it's one of those things that it's still hard to tell if there's gonna be more people into the race. Uh that, that show up where people have more options on the ballot. I think for the most part, conservatives have, have not wanted to foil the race and have held back. And uh, so this was a very bold move by, by Rep Kirka and by Joe Miller himself. Oh, absolutely bold by, by Joe Miller. And I'm, I'm a little bit surprised. I mean, Joe, Joe gave a very effective uh, remarks today on YouTube and he also did it on his channel on, on Facebook. And they were very, very effective and it was going really well. And I thought, boy, he's really gonna be quite the candidate to beat. And then all of a sudden he said, Chris Kirk. And I said, oh, okay, well, hmm. Now think about that. I, I wonder if it hurts Joe Miller's brand as a, a, as a libertarian and B as a conservative to back somebody who, I don't know, I, it, you know, he, he raised, he raised $30,000. I, I looked it up today. Kirker raised thirty thousand dollars for his race for that seat, and I suppose Miller can help him raise another twenty or so. So I mean, I could see him raising 
$50,000, but it, it does cost money to run because you got to get it all over the state. You know, Kirk will, oh, have, absolutely. To, Kirk will have to go to ADAC, he'll have to go to Kodiak, he'll have to go to Dillingham and Barrow, and you'll have to go to Toke and every place all over the state. And that's just not that cheap. So Sarah, I got a question for you. So, um, you know, most people look at this and I think they think it's impossible to um, for somebody like Kirka to unseat a Dunleavy. And I think in a lot of uh, similarities, you faced an obstacle where Paul Seaton was impossible to unseat. He, people had tried it for, I don't know, 16 years or however long he was in there and uh, failed, 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 failed. Well, did you come along? And what were some of the, a couple of those big key aha moments that you saw uh, that what, it, what, what did it take to unseat somebody like a Paul Seaton? Because um, Kirk is about ready to face that uh, with this formidable races for governor. Well, the first thing is that I, I clearly had to ignore the voice of everyone who said that it was impossible and uh, you know, just had a knowing that, I, that running was the right thing to do. And I think that's probably where Christopher Kirk is, is that he is such a man of deep conviction that he feels like it's the right thing to do and to give Alaskans a choice for someone who clearly uh, is firm on pro-life issues and upholding our constitution. And um, that that's really important. And the other thing was, is that I just listened to the people. I went to the people and said, what's important to you? This is where, what my values are. I, I'm a Republican because I believe in the Republic and I'm going to do your will. And um, just built that relationship and got out there and worked hard. But really, I could not have done it without the support of my district and the people who are grassroots that said, we want a change. And then, of course, um, you know, people in the Republican Party were supportive. You know, they're at the, the end of the race that helped kind of get get over that last hump uh, on election day that really made a big difference um, because they knew that Paul Seaton was not helping move forward in any Republican agenda at all and um, wanted to help regain the majority back in the House. So it'll be interesting to see the, you know, what the grassroots level does of just rallying the people because Alaskans do interesting things when it comes to elections. And, um, you know, sometimes, yes, it definitely takes a lot of money, especially for the size of a governor's race. You know, you can't just um, bicycle across like some of the districts in Anchorage and Fairbanks and, and cover the area on foot. Um, it's going to take a lot. But, you know, if it I think depending on what Governor Dunleavy does in this next year will also determine a lot of the next year's election. Speaking of which, uh, I wanted to switch to another topic that we have uh, for today, which is looking at this this district court judge uh, injunction that he issued in um, Missouri against Joe Biden's vaccine mandates for healthcare workers in, in hospitals and other medical facilities. It was a temporary injunction, and it's a case that 10 uh, 10 states joined, including Governor Dunleavy, joined in to say that this is uh, unconstitutional to force medical workers to take a vaccine um, that would be 
you know, as a condition of keeping their job. And it's specifically, in, I think, in regards to the COVID vaccine. And uh, the judge agreed. And he, he put a temporary injunction on this. Uh, so Representative Vance, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty big thing. It's a pretty big setback for Joe Biden. It's a pretty good victory for Mike Dunleavy and for the other nine um, governors who joined in this suit. It, it doesn't mean that hospitals can't say, well, for our hospital, you have to be vaccinated. They can they're, if they're running their hospitals. But what it says is uh, the federal governor, government cannot require hospitals to have their workers vaccinated for COVID um, or, or you know, the government would withhold their Medicaid or Medicare reimbursements. So have you, ta have you taken a look at, at this at all today? I have, and I, I shared it as soon as I saw the news because this is, this is huge. I've had, my office has been so busy with people reaching out to me saying, what can we do about this? And I was so pleased when the governor announced that he was uh, instructed the AG to join onto these lawsuits to put a stop to the unconstitutional mandates on every level. And so we've been working with the Department of Law asking for more questions for clarification uh, with federal contractors, CMS, uh, just to be able to give people answers. And I already have a report that South Peninsula Hospital down here in Homer has um, stopped their mandate and until further notice that uh, the original date is not going to be held firm and they're not going to enforce that, which is very exciting because about 30% of the employees here at SPH said that they did not want to receive the vaccine for one reason or another. And um, we're getting really nervous. And I think this is going to put the accountability back into the hands of the people to have that relationship with their local hospitals. Because here in Alaska, as you know, a lot of them are uh, within our, the structure of our boroughs. And if, if they want to enforce a mandate, then they are accountable to the people in that local area rather than the feds, which always feels uh, so distant. Interesting, because I also heard today that South Central Foundation is starting to hire back these employees that they were firing, and they are hiring them back. I, I don't know if it's because of this ruling, or if it's because they're just so desperate for workers, they realize that this is not workable, or they predicted that this ruling was going to come, come through. But it's of the great interest. And John, I know you are following this on Facebook after you posted our story on Facebook. Um, and and uh, tell, tell me how that that story is doing in terms of uh, the reaction to it? Oh, it's it's uh, gotten a lot of reach. It's It's been uh, shared. Uh, it's probably one of our most shared stories over the last uh, several days. And um, I think that people are excited that, that this happened and that, you know, for a lot of people, they didn't even know that Alaska was a part of this group of states. And that's, you know, one of the things, if I'm on Governor Dunleavy's team and I'm listening to this podcast, you got to get this information out. I'm on the governor's Facebook page right now, and there's nothing about any of it. And that is where people, you know, you could have these wins right and left, but if you don't put it out there for people to hear about, nobody's going to know about it. So um, great job, governor. But uh, I would say get your communications team to get this information out there. Yeah, yeah, it's important. And there's a lot of noise out there. And it's hard to get your message out. But you are, if, if you are the governor, you know, if you have to buy a, a, an ad on Facebook, then buy the ad, you know, just spend the money to, uh, to get your word out. Because uh, especially at this time of year, there's a lot of noise on Facebook, there's a lot of advertising going on. And 
uh, I know it's, it can, these things can get lost. So hopefully his team is back from their vacation and doing their job. And, and, and just so that people know what we're talking about, the mandate that's been put on hold, it would require almost every employee or, and volunteers as well, and third-party contractors, anybody who's working in 15 different categories of healthcare facilities to be vaccinated by December 6th. And so what we've seen is this massive exodus from the medical field as people just walked out. They said, we're done. Uh, this is, it's unethical, it's unconstitutional, and we're not even sure it's medically sound um, for us. And they've left. I mean, because the, a lot of these hospitals are not giving them, giving people the, the medical exemptions that, that, that they get from the doctors. The doctors send a note in saying, yeah, this person's got asthma, has got a lot of, a lot of preconditions, they're very allergic to this, they're very allergic to, to vaccines. And the hospital employers just say, tough, we're not giving out that any medical exemptions, even when you have a doctor's note. And they're uh, not giving them the religious ones either, because those ones are tricky. They're kind of hard for people to prove. Say you've had your measles vaccine, your chicken pox vaccine. Why not this one? But uh, at the same time, medical uh, and religious exemptions uh, just are right at the heart of our constitutional freedom of speech, freedom of religion, and the government shouldn't be asking us what our religion is and then base our job on that alone at all. Nance, got anything on that? Well, I, I think this is such a, a pivotal um, ruling and I, I pray that, that um, there's sound judgment as this moves further because, you know, everyone that respects the right for someone who wants to get a vaccine to be able to get that if they want, but it's the level of coercion that people are having to choose between providing for their families or getting the shot that they just aren't sure about. And, and that is just such a hard place to be in. And my heart goes out to so many people who have already gotten it because they felt like they had no choice. And, you know, man, why couldn't we have acted on this sooner? You know, but again, it feels like we're living in this parallel universe right now where constitutional issues, we never thought that things would get this far in the United States, but here we are. Right. And and just in full disclosure, everybody on this podcast, who's listening to this podcast knows that I've gotten my vaccines. I'm of an age when I know that virus is really out to get me and people of my age group, you know, should be careful. This is a very dangerous virus, but you got to make a decision about what's best for you, what's best for your family. And what's best for your uh, your whole you know co your coworkers everything else? I made my decision. I don't know if I'm happy with it, but I I sort of figured okay, I'm just, that's what I'm going to do. But dang, I tell you, this pressure on people to get vaccinated it is really is wrong. It is um, it's unconstitutional what's going on in the Biden administration. Well, let's move on to uh, an, another thing that is a little bit health related, but but. Representative Vance, you have been pushing as a patient advocate for some time, and you've got you have, you've got a bill that you're ready to drop, I believe, for this coming session that you tried to get through during special session as an amendment on another bill, and it has to do with patients being able to have a support person with them in the hospital, and we've all have heard stories, uh, very close uh, people very close to us, who were alone in the hospital where they weren't allowed to have their, their spouse or their, their loved one with them. They died alone without being able to say, 
goodbye to their their family. And um, a lot of people have been outraged at how hospitals have handled this. Tell us what the journey that you've been on to get this bill going and where it's at. Well, the very first um, reason that I thought about this was uh, when it's a story that we're all familiar with of a father who was camped out in the front lawn of the hospital in Anchorage because they, he was not allowed to see his young daughter who had been in an accident. And I found as a mother, you know, they would have had to arrest me to, if they were preventing me from being in the hospital room with my child. And um, because I would have, I would have made my way in there somehow. I would have tried to, you know, be respectful, do whatever I could, you know, to, to go through their protocols. But the fact that he had to, he had to get really all of Alaska on his side to be able to see his daughter to me was the first indication that things were, were going wrong and that our rights as, as patients, as Alaskans was, was not being um, honored. And especially through the pandemic, this is a time where we feel extremely vulnerable, but our loved ones are vulnerable having to make decisions on their own. And many of them left in their last moments with no family except through an iPad. And, and that to me are, is something that will have a lasting impact in so many ways that, that we just don't know. And so I started looking at what other states have been doing and there's just a simple two page bill no, uh, no patient left alone. So what my bill does is says whether you're in an emergency uh, or a nursing home, any healthcare facility, a hospital, that you have a right to have a support person there that can just be there to hold your hand, that can be an advocate for you. You get to determine that and the hospital themselves would be able to write their own policy and protocol to allow for safety of their employees and other patients to allow you in but the law would state you are allowed at least one support person. And, and so you tried to work this into a telehealth bill during the September special session, and uh, you had a lot of support on the House floor. It, you, you made it as an amendment, and you this was just a telehealth bill to, to continue the ability of medical providers to do telehealth. That way more people can get health in Alaska without having to go into a doctor's office. And so you worked it in as an amendment, but once the, I, I wanna say the Democrats, I'm sorry, but that it was the Democrats saw that the support was turning in favor of your amendment. What happened to the whole bill? Well, the exciting part about um, getting the amendment passed was that it also had some bipartisan support and I think that made the majority nervous is that they couldn't control the floor. Um, I mean, these are things that Alaskans feel deeply. So many of us have heard about it. And there were other uh, medical freedom amendments that uh, were coming. The amendment number five that was um, brought forward after mine uh, failed. Um, it, it, it hit a tie vote and they knew that others were coming and, well, and were really right. nervous. Yes, That's right. So, um, it was uh, it was the House Speaker had to break that tie, right? I think, um, or or it's basically basically it's a tie vote, so it fails. Correct. Right. Okay. Correct. And um, I think that I think that made the majority nervous that things were not going the way they wanted, and so we had a lot of at eases that day. 
uh, with that particular bill. It was supposed to be a pretty easy bill that that um, had a lot of support. And um, it um, Bryce Edgman referred it back to rules. And I stood up and made a speech and said, wait a minute, we can't fail the people now. We need this bill. I knew that when it got sent back to rules that it was sending at file 13, that it would kill the bill. And there were others that were saying, oh no, we just need to take a pause. We need to take a break and, and look at this and reconsider it. And I knew that, that, um, that it was over because Bryce Edgman said on the house floor that he had received phone calls and text messages from healthcare leaders in the healthcare field that said that it would be detrimental to their ability to, um, to provide for Alaskans, you know, in the hospitals. And that was shocking to all of us for someone, for our rules chair to stand up and say he got a phone call or text to oppose that specific um, amendment on well, it was the from bill. A it was from a lobbying group, I'm, I'm pretty sure, right? And, yes, and they were not quiet about it. And I make no bones about saying that it was Jared Cosen of Ashna because he was very vocal about wanting to kill uh, the amendment and that bill. And we said- yes please help us understand. I thought you needed this bill to help you be able to get through this pandemic. And they said, with that amendment in there, it's not worth it to us. That to me is unconscionable. Hospital and nursing association uh, uh, that will oppose that bill. And uh, it was uh, Bryce Edgman who came right out and said, hey, Ashna opposes the bill. Therefore, I oppose the bill. Therefore, it's going back in my committee and I'm just going to, I'm going to shoot it dead. And, um, and here, this is one of the issues that I have heard from so many people saying, I'm not, my husband is, is, um, has a blood clot in his brain and I can't get in to see him. Um, I had, I had, uh, one of my dear friends that said I was in the hospital with COVID and I couldn't breathe. I thought I was going to die and I was alone. And, um, you know, this is one of those things that I never thought we would have to pass a law requiring hospitals to allow someone to have a loved one, especially when there's a healthcare shortage. They need someone to be there just to be able to, um, you know, make sure that they have water or hold their hand or, you know, help them with their other basic needs. And, and the rejecting family members and loved ones from coming in and being that support for them. And that's why I'm going to bring it forth as a bill this next session and, and have the conversation again that we do the right thing for Alaskans. I love yeah, that. Sarah, yeah, great. I love that too. Is it, and uh, John, what were you going to say? I was just going to say that, you know, it's it, it, to put it in perspective, it would, you know, for those folks that are listening here, it'd be like if if there was an oil tax reform bill on the floor and f- people were voting on it and, uh, you know, BP calls up and says, hey, you know, we don't really like this bill. So, you know, we don't want you to pass it. And, uh, that then they then they pull the bill because BP's called them and they, they don't want any new taxes and that's basically what's happened here and I don't know how it's not a crime but apparently it's not um, but for those of you that are listening I think that this bill speaks to the very nature in which I think government actually is could do something good and Representative Vance is helping put a voice to the voiceless it's imagine your wife God forbid somebody's wife gets COVID is sitting on a ventilator dying and the hospital administration is going to let your wife die alone with nobody by her side. And I think that that 
is so horrible and this bill could potentially fix that. So I'm pretty excited about it. Representative Ailes, where can we get a copy of this bill at this point? Because it, it hasn't been filed yet. No, I the amendment is is on basis and my bill will be the same thing as the amendment. I'm not going to change it because it, it received uh, so much support and it's just very simple language that um, that I'm gonna move forward with and introduce it the same. I looked at what other states were doing and North Carolina recently passed this same piece of legislation. I believe Oklahoma has and Arkansas, but uh, I got it from the North Carolina bill and, um, and worked with our legal department here to conform, conform it to Alaska's statutes. But um, I am more than willing to share a copy of that with you, Suzanne, because it's, even though it hasn't been introduced, it doesn't have a bill number, but I am gonna introduce it just the way it was introduced as an amendment on the house floor. That'd be great. Um, I will, I, you know, if you could send that to me, we'll, we'll throw them in the show notes so that people can um, also take a look at them. And uh, maybe I'll, maybe it's time for me to do a story on this as well. And this is a personal story. I remember a long, long time ago when I was a, a young bride, my husband fell off a, a roof and was in very critical condition. And uh, I was at his side in the hospital. It was late at night and he started just breathing really heavily and something was not right. If he had been alone, we would not have known that he was going through respiratory distress. It was acute respiratory distress because he had a hole in his lung and stuff. And they, um, I did call the nurse and they came in and they, they put him on a ventilator. This was many, many years ago. And it, it saved his life. But if I hadn't been in the room, they wouldn't have known until he started flatlining. And would he be, would he be alive? I don't know. We would have maybe lost him. So having an extra set of eyes there is a really helpful thing, especially like you said, in the case of a, a healthcare shortage of, of, of workers. It seems like this is a, a good bill and I wanna compliment you on it. And, and we'll see what happens this coming. Are you gonna pre-file it in, in December or? When? Yes, that's the plan. Okay, very good. Well, it's been great to have you on the show. In fact, we kind of ran a little bit over time because we've been enjoying your conversation so much, but um, we've got to let our listeners go. And for everybody who wants to check out our stories, please go to mustreadalaska.com. I want to thank you, Representative Vance, for being with us today and wish you a very Merry Christmas. And thank you, John Quick. Thank you, Scott Levesque. I love working with you guys, and we've got such a great team here at Must Read Alaska, and you are so important to it. If you're a supporter of Must Read Alaska, thank you so much. It makes it all possible for us to stand up for what's right in Alaska. And if you'd like to support the conservative side of the news, well, the donate button is there on the right side of the page, and your support will allow us to keep going, keep strong. Until next week, we're signing off from somewhere in Alaska. 